Chapter 20 The Life and Adventures of James P. Beckworth, Mountaineer, Scout, and Pioneer, and Chief of the Crow Nation of Indians. Written from his own dictation by T.D. Bonner. This is a Leverbox recording. All Leverbox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit leverbox.org. A party of nine trappers happening to call at the village on their way to the fort, among whom was my old friend Harris. I proposed to accompany them. We started and reached the fort without accident, except sustaining another siege from the Blackfeet. After our departure, the whole village followed to purchase their spring supply of necessaries at the fort. They brought an immense stock of peltry, with which they purchased everything that they stood in need of. About a week after our arrival, the other Crow village, under Longhair, encamped without the fort, all of them deep in mourning. The same ill luck had attended them in their excursions as we had suffered, and eighty warriors had fallen without one gleam of success. I availed myself of this opportunity to impress upon the minds of Longhair and his followers that the cause of their misfortune was owing to the conduct of the Crows toward Fitzpatrick and his party, which representation they all firmly believed. When the two villages had finished their trading, we all moved back to the Bighorn, where we constructed a new medicine lodge for the medicine men, prophets, and dreamers to prophecy and hold their deliberations in. These lodges are erected every year, the first moon in May. The whole tribe is assembled at the festival and the ceremonies are continued for seven days. Before the poles are raised, the medicine men select from the assembled multitude of warrior whom they deem qualified to assume the functions of medicine chief. The man they select is compelled to serve. No excuse that he can frame is accepted as valid. He is then taken to a lodge pole and lashed to one end. An eagle's wing is placed in each hand and a whistle, similar to a boatswain's, placed between his lips. Thus equipped, he is hoisted a distance of 40 feet until the pole assumes its perpendicularity and is adjusted in its proper place. Raising the first pole is analogous to laying the first stone. The first one being hoisted, abundance of others are raised into their places until the whole space is enclosed. They are then covered with green buffalo hides, descending to within six feet of the ground, the enclosure being left open at the top. About 120 hides are generally required for the purpose, and a space is thus obtained capable of holding from seven to eight hundred persons. I was the subject selected on this occasion, and when I was raised upon the pole in the manner I have just described, 
the officials declared that I was raised solely by the elevating power of my wings, whence they inferred that my medicine was very powerful. When the lodge is completed, the medicine men and other functionaries assemble the most distinguished braves within the building for a rehearsal of their achievements and an enumeration of their coups. Each brave then gives an account of his exploits thus. I killed one or more Cheyennes, as the case may be, on such a day, in such a place, and took such and such spoils. You know it, Crows. The medicine chief then exhibits his marks, pronounces the warrior's statement correct, and confirms it by his record. This ratification each warrior passes through, and there is seldom any discrepancy between his statement and the record. Sham battles are then fought in illustration of the manner in which the different trophies were acquired. The rehearsal, reminding the civilized spectator of a theatrical representation, only that in this case the performance is more in earnest. This examination gone through with, the lodge is then prepared for the medicine men, prophets, and dreamers to go through the ceremony of initiating a virtuous woman. The members of the conclave endure a total abstinence from food and water for seven days previous to the ceremony, unless anyone faints from exhaustion, in which case some slight nourishment is afforded him. The warriors are then drawn up in two lines, inward face, a few feet apart, and the female candidate for holy orders presents herself at the lodge door. She harangues them when she first presents herself and then marches between the extended lines of the dusky warriors. Here is the fearful ordeal. If she has ever been guilty, of any illicit action, her declaration of innocence is refuted by a dozen voices, a thousand bullets riddle her body in a moment, and her flesh is hacked into morsels. This is the fearful warpath secret. It will be remembered that my little wife had resolved to dedicate herself to this service, when only a child she had determined upon entering the medicine lodge. On this occasion, she was candidate for admission. She came to me to be dressed for the ceremony. She was robed in her best attire, and I painted her as the custom prescribes. The warriors are in line, and the Sanhedrin in readiness. The herald announces that Nomne de Che, the one that strikes three, wife of the head chief, Medicine Calf, offers herself for election. Intense excitement prevails through the assembly as her name is pronounced, and it is re-echoed through the lines of the warriors. She presented herself at the door of the lodge and calmly met the concentrated gaze of thousands. A breathless silence prevailed. 
she commenced her address. Can it be said that there are no virtuous women among the crows? Can it be true that our medicine men cannot make medicine, nor our prophets prophesy, nor our dreamers dream, because so few of you are virtuous? Oh, women, it is shameful to you to be so faithless. Our nation is disgraced because of your conduct, and the crows will soon cease to be a people. The Great Spirit is angry with you and has brought disgrace upon our warriors on account of your evil practices. Our prairies will become wastes like yourselves, producing no good thing, and our buffalo will bellow at you and leave the hunting grounds of the crows and go to the country of a more virtuous people. Then, addressing the warriors, she continued, Warriors, I have this day volunteered to carry the sand, the wood, and the elk chips into the lodge. You are brave warriors, and I hope your tongues are not crooked. I have seen our women attempt to do it, and they have been cut to pieces. I am now about to try it myself. Before I start for the materials at the other end of your extended lines, if there be a warrior or any other man under the sun who knows anything wrong in me or injurious to my virtue, let him speak. I, too, am ready to go to the spirit land, for there is one there who knows me innocent of the bad deeds which disgrace the women of our country. She then passed with a firm step between the lines of the warriors to the sand. Taking the bowl, she dipped a small quantity and returned with it to the lodge, and then made two other trips for the wood and elk chips. Returning for the third time, she received the vociferations of the assembled multitude. The functionaries came forth to meet her and passed their hands over her head shoulders and arms, extolling her to the skies, and proclaiming there was one virtuous woman in the Crow Nation. She was then presented with my medicine shield by the great medicine chief, to preserve and carry for me, no one but myself having authority to take it from her. I trembled while she was passing this perilous ordeal, and its triumphant termination filled me with delight. She was a girl of superior endowments, and if they had been fostered by a Christian education, I know no woman who would surpass her in worth, elegance, or attainments. Had she ever failed in her conduct, it would have been thundered in her ears when she stooped to gather the sand, and a cry would have arisen that she was polluting the medicine of the nation. If the candidate is killed during the inauguration ceremonies, nothing more is done in the same medicine lodge. It is immediately torn down, and the tribe moves to some other place where it builds another lodge, and the same observances are again gone through with. 
In the meanwhile, women are engaged cooking and preparing a sumptuous feast of everything in season. All kinds of meats and dried berries, variously cooked, are spread before the partakers, which includes all who can obtain seats except the medicine men, prophets, and dreamers. Their fast continues for seven days, during which time their inspiration is continually moving them. There are plenty of warriors in attendance to convey messages and execute orders, like deputy sheriffs in a justice's court. And as fast as an ordinance is dreamed out, prophesied upon, and medicined, the instructions are delivered to the messengers, and away they start, one party in this direction and one party in another, to communicate the instructions and execute orders. While we were yet at the lodge, a deputation of about a dozen Groven warriors came to solicit our assistance against the Cheyennes and Sioux, who had made a combined attack upon them, killing about 400 of their warriors. In reply to the application, we told them that we had lost many warriors during the past winter, and that we must avenge our own men first but that we would go and see them in the course of the summer and hold a conference with them on the subject. There are two bands of the Grovens, the Grovens of the Missouri, which the Crows sprung from, and whose language they speak, and the Grovens of the Prairie, who form a band of the Blackfeet. The Grovens of the Missouri were then a weak tribe or band, having by their incessant wars with the surrounding tribes, been reduced to a very insignificant number of warriors. When the Crows separated from them, the nation was deemed too numerous. This separation was effected, according to their reckoning, above a century since. Those Grovens and the Crows have always been on very friendly terms and even to this day consider themselves descendants of the same family. They do not move about, like many wandering tribes, but remain stationary and cultivate the ground. Their lodges are built of poles, filled in with earth. They are spacious and are kept comparatively neat. I would here remark that the name Crow is not the correct appellation of the tribe. They have never yet acknowledged the name, and never call themselves Crows. The name was conferred upon them many years ago by the interpreters, either through their ignorance of the language, or for the purpose of ridiculing them. The name which they acknowledge themselves by, and they recognize no other, is in their language Apsa-Roki, which signifies the Sparrowhawk people. The villages separated at this time. Longhair went up the Yellowstone to Clark's Fort in order to kill buffalo and gather fruit when ripe, while I went with my village on a circuit and finally rested on the banks of Powder River, a branch of the Yellowstone. While busy killing buffalo, we were suddenly attacked by the Cheyennes to the number of 2,000 warriors. I had been advised by my scouts of their contemplated attack, 
and was consequently prepared to receive them. They were seriously disappointed in charging upon our empty lodges, and while they were in confusion, we thundered upon them from our concealment, driving them before us in all directions for upward of two miles. Our victory was complete. We took sixty-three scalps, besides horses and weapons in abundance. We had eighty warriors wounded, principally with lances and arrows, but everyone recovered. The heroine did good service, having thoroughly recovered from her terrible wound. She had two horses killed under her, but escaped unhurt herself, using her lance as adroitly as ever. The village moved on, directly after the battle, in the direction of our friends, the Grovens. But before we arrived, we rubbed out a party of eleven Cheyennes, who had been to the Groven village on a war excursion, and we carried their scalps and presented them to the Grovens. When we arrived in sight of their villages, five in number, and halted with our whole force on a small hill which overlooked their towns, on perceiving us, they were filled with alarm, believing us to be the Cheyennes, returned with a force sufficient to exterminate them. But they discovered us to be Crow friends, and their joy was now proportionate to their former despondency. We passed through their village two abreast, and all were out upon the tops of their lodges to welcome us as we rode through. The acclamations resounded on every side. They looked upon us as their deliverers and friends, who had come to protect the weak against the strong, that their wrongs might be avenged, and their faces be washed once more. From their villages, we rode on to Fort Clark through the Mandan villages, defiling before the fort in double columns. Every man in the fort was on the battlements, gazing at our long lines of mounted warriors. While defiling past, we were correctly counted by Mr. Kipp. Several alighted and visited the fort, and Mr. Kipp inquired for the crow who spoke English. No one understood him until he came across a Mandan who spoke the crow language fluently. They inquired of him for me. I replied he was somewhere about. I was dressed in full costume and painted as black as a crow, and neither the Mandan nor Kipp recognized me. The Mandan informed Kipp that I was present. Yes, said I, Beckworth is present. Well, well, exclaimed Kip in astonishment. Is that you, Beckworth? I replied that it was, indisputably. Then why did you not declare yourself when I was inquiring for you? I certainly should never have distinguished you from any other Indian. At this moment, my wife entered, carrying my boy in her arms. A great interest was taken in him by all the inmates of the fort, greatly to the delight of his proud mother, and by the time the child had passed through all their hands, he had received presents enough to load a pack mule. We stayed with our friends ten days, 
part of which time was occupied in arranging a combined plan of defense against the Blackfeet. When we departed, Longhair presented us with an ample stock of corn and pumpkins. We passed the Yellowstone and traveled on by easy marches to the Muscleshell River, killing and dressing buffalo during our whole journey. Here we encamped to await the arrival of Longhair. Our spies kept us advised of the movements of the enemy, and intelligence was brought us that he was manifestly concentrating his forces at the three forks of the Missouri for a grand attack. I knew that we were also vigilantly watched by the enemy spies, and I determined to make no movement that would warrant the suspicion that their movements were known to us. Longhair shortly joined us with his whole force, and I felt perfectly at ease now, notwithstanding the most strategical movements of our enemy. After various demonstrations on either side, we feigned a division of our forces and marched one half of them to a spot which concealed them from the tableland, thus leading the enemy to the belief that we were still ignorant of his intentions and his numbers. At daybreak the following morning, we heard the noise of their innumerable horse hooves, and shortly after they burst upon our tenantless lodges like a thundercloud. I suffered about one-third of their warriors to become entangled in the village, and I then gave the order to charge. The shock was irresistible. Their advancing division was attacked on all sides, and the appearance of my concealed warriors sent a panic through the tribe. They fled precipitately without venturing to look round to see if they were pursued. It was a complete rout and purchased at but slight cost to ourselves. We gathered over 400 scalps and took 50 women prisoners. We captured 500 horses, 100 guns, and weapons, blankets, and camp equipage beyond enumeration. Our loss was four killed and 300 wounded, some of whom afterward died of their wounds. Our wounded warriors attended to, and our spoils gathered. We moved on without delay to our tobacco plantation, as it was now time to gather our crop. We journeyed by way of the fort, and on our road fell in with a party of fifteen Blackfoot warriors, who were driving a large drove of horses they had stolen from the snakes. We entrapped the enemy into a ditch and killed the whole party, and their recent acquisition came in very serviceably, as our stock of horses was greatly diminished. We found our crop excellent, and as our numerous hands made light work, our harvest was soon gathered. We then passed on at our leisure, killing more or less buffalo daily, until we arrived at Tongue River, about the new moon of Leaf Fall. On our way, we lost nearly 300 head of horses, which were stolen by the Blackfeet. We did not trouble ourselves to pursue them, as we felt confident they were but lent them, and that they would shortly be returned with good interest. At Tongue River, 
we confederated with our friends, the Grovens, in an attack upon the Cheyenne village. From thence we returned to the Yellowstone. When I detached a party of 160 warriors on an excursion to the Blackfoot village, and they returned bringing 600 fine horses with them. We then passed on to Fort Cass, where we witnessed much dejection and gloom, occasioned by a serious reverse which they had experienced since our last visit. End of chapter 20